0: Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 27. My very first sentence I have to kind of modify. Today we come to the end of this glorious letter to the Romans. Oh, we do, but we might be back. Because there's just so much in here. But let me review for you real quick. Most of you are already aware of this. But let me, if I can, review for you where we've been in this book. This letter has brought revival to individuals... And nations, whole movements for upwards of 2,000 years now. This was the source, the very genesis of the Reformation. Uh, Paul begins this book speaking about the depravity of man. Here's the facts we are all wretched sinners. He threw each one of us under the bus. He Gets to, by the time he gets to chapter 3, verse 20, he says, look, there's none righteous. There's no, not one. None of us have the perfect righteousness that is required for heaven. And worse yet, the perfect righteousness that is required for heaven is never a condition that you'll achieve. Hopeless. But then we come to chapter 3, verse 21, and it starts getting good. But righteousness, though it's not a condition you can possibly achieve, it is a commodity that you can and must Receive to get into heaven. Jesus, who is God, came down, wore human skin, lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death in my place. He gave me the commodity of his righteousness. He's made me, and you too, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you placed all your faith in him, he's made me spotless. Judicially, I'm spotless. I'm perfect. I know, I don't look like it. But he's made me to where when God looks at me, I am justified. I'm just as if I'd never sinned. Paul goes on in this letter to say, but it doesn't end there. It gets better. Not only does Jesus overrule sin for me, but he begins to overcome sin in me. Jesus not only died for me, he lives in me. <clears throat> He's in the midst of making me sanctified. There's another fancy word, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Sanctified is the process of making you more and more like Jesus, less and less like the old nasty you. Nothing personal. I mean, for me, too. There's coming a day, Romans says, also when you and I. All of our fellow believers will be also glorified, justified, sanctified, a process, and then one final, in the twinkling of an eye, become glorified, actually perfect. Then you will look at me and go, hey, my guy's perfect. Okay? Then chapters 9 through 11, God, we saw, is not done with Israel, which means he never leaves a project half done. He's not done with Israel, and he's not done with you. He will be faithful to complete it. He's working all of the things, good and bad stuff, uh, out so that you can become more and more like Jesus to that moment. okay. Chapters 12 through 15 have all been basically application. starts with those, those big verses, chapters 12, verses 1 and 2. Look, our reasonable response to His goodness, His mercy, all that He's done for us is to give our bodies over to Him. And if we do, if we give our bodies and our minds over to Him, the natural result, it will happen every single time. I promise you, transformation. You will be... More and more like Jesus, less and less like the old you, you will become a different person in practicality, not just in legalese, not just in in certain terms, but in real life, you'll become a better person, more and more like Jesus. All of these amazing, life-changing truths are found in this book. And this morning, we come to the final words of Paul to these Roman saints. Three uh, parts for you. Final warning from Paul? Paul's fellow workers, final warning, fellow workers, and then finally, final worship. Paul's final uh, sentence or paragraph of worship. Okay, let's start right, right away. Final warning. Paul's in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. This is the last warning shot from Paul. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, note or mark those who cause division and offenses, preferably with a permanent marker. No, um, Mark those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Paul's final warning to the church at Rome is, look, I want you to take note of, mark somehow in your mind, take note of and avoid two kinds of people in the church. Did you know there's two kinds of people in the church that you should actually avoid? You should shun here. Two kinds of people, Democrats and Republicans. No, just kidding. (laughs) If you were with us before, you might think legal eagles and loosey goosies No, actually, you're not supposed to avoid them. We're supposed to work together, right? We're supposed to understand, look, your conviction is a little different on this, this item that is not uh, clearly, explicitly called sin or whatever it might be. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to not avoid each other. But interesting, after that long uh, message on the unity of the body, Paul says, but there are two people. Kinds of people you need to avoid. Here they are. Dividers and deceivers. People who come in and want to divide the church. And people who come in and want to deceive the church, the saints. Dividers are those who attack the unity of the church. And deceivers are those who attack the truth of the Bible. Paul says, look, there's a couple kinds of people that I want you to avoid. I just... I want you to flat out mark them and avoid them. Here they are. The first is the dividers. You guys know the the phrase to divide and conquer. Somebody comes in and their, their job is, they think their job is to divide the church. Then you can know that they are there to divide and conquer. They want to separate the weaker sheep from the herd and have them over for dinner. There's dividers and also though deceivers, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note or mark those who cause divisions and offenses. the word is scandal on it means to trip up uh, who cause division and offenses to trip up contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. In other words, note and avoid those who contrary to, to proper doctrine, real you know the Bible, they try to trip you up. By suggesting maybe that the doctrine, the, the teaching of the Bible is, well, it's good, but it's not the whole truth, you know. Uh, we have a deeper truth that, that we think that you uh, would really be interested in, is how these, these folks would speak. Paul says, look, if someone comes up to you and is a divider, maybe they, they want to gossip about other people. To me, biblically, you only have two choices. If, someone, if you want to behave biblically when somebody wants to gossip. You can say, uh, that's gossip and I'm going to shut it down right now. I'm not going to have any part of it because the Bible says that you're supposed to go to that person. Or you can do what Paul says. I'm just going to note you and avoid you. Those are your choices. If they are a divider, that's how you're supposed to uh, look at them. But also a deceiver. If they're a deceiver, mark them, avoid them. Verse 18, here's why. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So in verse 18, Paul shares these deceivers and dividers, their motive and their M.O. That is the way they operate. First, let's talk about their their M.O. Here's how they operate. He says, by smooth words and flattering speech. They deceive the hearts of the simple. Flattering speech, they deceive. The word deceive means to cheat or beguile. How many of you have seen the Disney movie, The Jungle Book? Okay. First service I asked and nobody raised their hand. And I'm like, this is going to be a weird illustration. But it turned out, actually, they had seen it. They were just sleeping, apparently. guys remember The Jungle Book where the snake is all... Beguiling in his speech. He was so smooth. That's what Paul's talking about here. They will come with their smooth speech and they'll say to you, You are so gifted. You're just so talented. You know what? You just kind of need to break away from the herd and come study with us. We have all of this new truth. See, that's their MO. That's how they how they operate is to flatter, to try to get you uh, get your defenses down. They're smooth on the outside, Paul says. But here's what's on the inside. Verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. That is their fleshly appetites. Okay, it's not talking about literally their belly, but their their fleshly appetites, that's which they crave. Okay, the word serve there is doulos, you're familiar with it, it means a slave. So Paul says, look, I want you to watch out for, mark these, avoid these folks. The kind that, you know, they have the right lingo, they know all the Christianese, but they're not slaves of Christ. They're not out to serve Him, no, they're out to serve their own appetites. Whether it's a hunger for power, or influence, or money. Or a hunger just to be the center of attention. Now, I said this the first service. I'm thankful that I really don't feel like we've had that much experience with this yet, with people coming in and trying to divide and deceive and and, uh, have their own agenda. I am so thankful because, you know, it makes it awkward when I'm like, hey, let's talk about it. And everybody's like, oh, he's talking about. Nope, I have no, it's a great time to talk about this because I don't notice or feel any of that. But please think about this. As as we grow, as as the Lord blesses us and we get passionate about sharing His Word and His forgiveness to the whole world, as He grows Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, think about what that looks like from a wolf's perspective. It's a bigger and bigger smorgasbord of sheep. Nice, tasty sheep. It's good for the wolf. It's bad for you. I had to set that up. Now, if you're a wolf, what is any self-respecting wolf? Who do you go after? You go after the easy prey. And you try to divide them from the herd and satisfy your own belly. He says, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of what? The simple. Don't anybody point to your neighbor Simple, it actually means naive. So what he's saying is, look, if you want to be a a great target for cults and for people who want to deceive and and want to, to use you for their own purposes, just be simple, that is inexperienced in the word. The predator always goes for the easy prey. The very best weapon against uh, deceivers and dividers is the sword of the word. You are holding it in your lap. When the deceiver comes around with his smooth sounding words. It's very simple. If you're an expert in the word, you're like, wait, that doesn't match up with the Bible. Get out of here. You just mark him and avoid him. But if you are simple. If you're unfamiliar with the word, Paul says, look, you're a sitting duck. And that's exactly where he's going. Look at verse 19. I love this. He comes along as a big brother kind of. And he gives an encouraging word. But he's also like, look, I've got to tell you. Verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. That is awesome, he says. Okay, he doesn't say it. But that's how I would say it. I'm glad on your behalf that you are so famous for your obedience. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Look, Paul says, I am thrilled that you guys, you Romans have such a great reputation of being obedient, being compliant. You guys are famous for your willingness to obey, and that is great, but I don't want you to be gullible. I don't want you just obeying, complying to anyone, anything. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple, naive, if you will, concerning evil. Now, Calvary Chapel here, we look for applications. And when I get to this verse, all the applications just start to fall. Um, here, here's a few. Okay, First, notice it says that the Romans were famous for their obedience. Are you? Am I? Are we known for our reputation of being obedient to the Scriptures? Do we have a reputation? Do you have a reputation, whether it's in your family... Or in the church or at work or in your community for prompt, enthusiastic obedience to the scripture. With our our boys, one of the phrases that we use as we try to raise them up, I say try, is first time obedience. First time obedience. Does that describe you? First time obedience or is it In due time, obedience. Or, when I'm ready, obedience. And and now that we're on the subject of putting it in terms of of the way we, we encourage our children, what about your attitude while you're obeying? Do you have a happy heart? That's what we say. Do you have a happy heart in your obedience? Just a great application, great reminder here this morning. Here's another application. Paul says in the middle of verse 19, he says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The word wise there is sophos. It means to be skilled, uh, to be an expert. Paul says, I want you to be an expert in what is good and naive, if you will, concerning evil. Now, I love that. I think a lot of times we we start to think, okay, I have to have have my eyes open all the time about every possible danger and I have to really become versed in what is evil so I can identify it. No. Paul says, look, to, to protect yourself from wolves and snakes, dividers and deceivers, you don't have to spend a lot of time educating yourself in evil. Just be wise in what is good. You don't have to study every cult in depth to know a wolf in sheep's clothing. How do you tell a wolf in sheep's clothing? Watch what he eats. A real sheep is going to eat grass, is going to be feeding, right? But uh, uh, you see a, a sheep that has, you know, it's a little bit bigger than the rest and he's eating other sheep. Okay. You don't have to study every snake. To be able to identify, okay, that's a snake. I'm staying away from that thing. Look at verse 18 and you'll see the word simple, right? There Paul has, he's kind of given the con- connotation of gullible. It's like, I don't want you guys to be a sitting duck. I don't want you to be gullible. But look at verse 19. The connotation is a good connotation. It means unmixed, uh, pure, free from guile, innocent. It kind of means care carefree. Do, do you guys know, I hope you do, that to be naive in a sense... To be simple concerning evil is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to not be encumbered with every possible scenario of evil that might come your way. To be simple concerning evil is a beautiful thing, but listen, it does make you a target. That's what Paul's saying. You guys are so obedient, it's awesome, but I want you to be experts in the word. Because if you are, you will have all the protection you need. The sword of the Spirit will be all that you need. All you have to do, Paul is saying, is read the word, obey it, become an expert at what is good, and you'll be fine. Then you can be naive, if you will, concerning evil. See, Paul is describing the happiest, I think, the most beautiful state of a Christian. I hope that describes you more and more, that you're, you're an expert. And things that are good. And you're kind of simple, backward, naive when it comes to evil. To be blissfully unburdened by evil and protected by the good shepherd. Does that describe you? Won't take a lot of time, but if you think this through, there's probably about four different scenarios where you could fit into this grid. Perhaps you are skilled in what is good. You're you're an expert in what is good. You know the scriptures. But you're also kind of pretty good at evil too. What do you do? 1 John one nine, Confess. Confess your sins to the Lord. And He will be faithful. He's promised to forgive you of your sin. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right? Or maybe here's a different grid. Maybe you're simple concerning evil. You're actually, you know... Pretty pure in your thought life and and your, your the, the way that you interact with people, all those things. You're simple, but you're kind of naive concerning the Bible, meaning you're not an expert in the Bible. That's who Paul's talking to here. He's talking to you. He's saying, "You Romans, look, you're 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 desiring to be obedient and compliant, and that's great. But unless you know the Word, you are sitting ducks. So." Well, the best happiest scenario for any Christian is to be exactly this wise in what is good and expert in what is good, but simple, naive when it comes to evil. This totally matches up in my mind with Matthew ten sixteen. It's your family memory verse today. Behold, these are the words of Jesus. And no wonder he said, behold, because when you think this through, this is shocking. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Good Shepherd talking. <laughs> Behold, I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, all this verse has always captured my attention. Because who's speaking it? Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd says to his flocks All right, now, little ones, I'm sending you out shoulder to shoulder with those wolves. You're going to be surrounded by them. So watch your back. And we're like, would a good shepherd say this? Well, yeah, if he knows the reality, he's going to warn. That's what a good shepherd does. He warns. He says, you need to understand the rules of engagement here. I am sending you out shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of wolves. So he says, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You see, this totally parallels with what Paul's saying. Once again, Paul gets all of his best material from Jesus He says, I want you to be skilled expert in what is good. And I promise you, you will outsmart the evil one every single time or actually probably better said, God will outsmart the evil one for you. Y'all, this is a great application to make this your prayer this week or maybe the rest of your life. I hope if you've spent any time with me and we've prayed about uh, different things that you've heard me pray this because I feel like I'm praying it all the time. Lord, make me wise as a serpent. Don't let me be gullible, but make me harmless as a dove. I don't want to be hurting other people because I'm suspicious of them or any other thing. Lord, make me wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. To be skilled expert in what is good, and you will outsmart the evil one. God will outsmart him for you every single time. Okay, now go back to Romans here. You never left. Romans 16. And what you'll see here is that Paul's version ends exactly that way. He says, look, I want you to be wise This is verse 19 and what is good and simple concerning evil. Verse 20. And here's the result. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. You see, that's the same result. The, the, the picture is the same. The, the sheep with his eyes just on the shepherd, the, the, the sheep just listening to the voice of the shepherd, not obeying just any voice, but obeying just the voice of the shepherd. And he's, he's ignoring the voice of the wolf. He's blissfully unconcerned with evil. And what happens? God, the God of peace, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. All the guys should be like, yes. No? There you go. Thank you. This is like manly stuff here. He's going to crush him under your feet. The word crush means to break, to break in pieces, to shiver, um, to tread down, to put Satan underfoot. And actually, it was a picture that you would see of a, a conquering general with his foot. On the neck of the opposing general or the opposing king, that 's exactly what happened when it was a total con- conquer situation. You come into a land you know everybody 's a uh, big war of words. finally, at the end, one guy is left standing on the the leader of the other movement on on his neck it 's a symbol of total conquer. The conqueror would put his feet on the neck of the conqueror, and what Paul is saying here is that Jesus crushes. Satan. We get a flashback to, to Genesis, right? Um, y- your seed will crush his head. Way back in Genesis, again, this was this was foretold. But this is the great thing. Have you noticed? If you look at those verses, it says, "And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet." So Jesus does the conquering, and we get to do the gloating. <laughs> we get to put our foot on the neck of our enemy. No wonder Paul said, you remember back in Romans chapter 8? He says, yet in all these things, and he's talking about trials and tribulations, all the stuff that you guys are experiencing right now, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Meaning, we don't even have to fight. Jesus does the fighting and we end up getting to put our neck on our adversary, or our foot on our adversary's neck. Application. Maybe today, you feel like not the conqueror, of the conqueror E. The God of this world seems to have his foot on your neck. Please understand the scriptures here. Paul is promising you. Look, if you stay in the word, if you're obedient, if you'll just be skilled be an expert in what is good and be simple in what is evil, he says shortly, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And it says shortly there, the word is tacos. No, not the kind you eat. Some of you are hungry already. Um, Tacos is T-A-C-H-O-S. It's where we get the word tachometer. And it's actually very important because I think, you know, you look at the scriptures and you go, well, Paul, you said this was going to happen shortly. And it's been, hello. No, a tachometer is one that can go from zero to 60, like that. It means once it happens, it's going to happen rapidly. Okay, so it could happen at any time. Paul is saying, there will come a time when your life is a vapor, right? There will come a time, you, right now we're all struggling, we're going through so many things. There will come a time when all of a sudden you'll look around and go, Wow, how did you do that, Lord? My enemy is conquered. You did it, and you now have my foot on his neck. And shortly, that is all at once, God will turn the tables for you. The e will become more than a conqueror. Now, Paul closes up this this section with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Real quick, you're going to see it uh, another time here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What's grace? Unmerited favor. When God is good to you and you don't deserve it. Y'all, this is the gospel, really fast. Tachometer. Um, It's the gospel where... God is good to you, though you don't deserve it. And it's all because of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then he says, Amen, which means let it be. be. So be it. Right. So that's Paul's final warning that we've just covered. Next, we're going to hear from Paul's fellow workers. Verse 21. Paul's fellow workers kind of speak up now. Paul says, "Uh, Timothy, my fellow worker and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen greet you. So these are my fellow Jews that have been traveling with me. Verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Verse 23. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there it is again, be with you all. Amen. Last week, how many of you here were here last week? When Paul said, hey, say hi to so-and-so in Rome. Say hi to so-and-so for me. Hey, could you say hi to to that person for me? Here, this is kind of the reverse of it, where all of the people that are hanging with Paul say, hey, can you say hi for us to them? So he says, all these folks are saying, hey, okay. This week he says, so-and-so says hi to y'all. Verse 21. For instance, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. Timothy, most of you are pretty familiar with him. He would be Paul's protege, much younger. Uh, the, Paul brought him to faith. He was like a son to Paul uh, in, in the faith, but probably in, in many other ways, too. Uh, this guy traveled, Timothy traveled with Paul on, on his journeys. Paul led him to Christ and he was like a faithful son in all of Paul's travels. Here's an application. Do you have a Timothy? We, many of us went to the love song concert. It's awesome to see all those old people rocking it out. <laughs> and, and to be reminded, this is what God did. But you all know that God's still doing, right? And if he's going to continue doing, and we know he will... But if we want to be part of it, you have to pour into the next Timothy. You have to find them and encourage them and give them the same grace and teaching and everything else that Paul did. The the same that was shared with you. So, application, do you have a Timothy? Or maybe you are a Timothy. Either you're young or you're young in the faith. Do you have a Paul? Do you have someone that you're like, I don't know if I quite understand this. I don't get this. Could you help me? Or maybe you're a Pauline or a Timothet. Couldn't think of any female name of Timothy. But. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. Old timers. Not looking at anyone in particular. Are you, are you uh, pouring into the next generation? And whippersnappers. Are you utilizing the wisdom that comes from the experience of other folks in this family of God? Y'all, don't forget, we are a family. It seems like God has been saying that over and over again these last few weeks. Uh, it occurred to me, too, that ministering to the to the elderly that, that's happening recently. This is being a family and interacting with folks who are at a different stage in life than you are. This is good godly stuff. Okay, Lucius, he says, uh, Lucius says hi. It's basically what he's saying. We don't know much about Lucius, but it's possible that this is the same Lucius that's in Acts 13.2. And if he is, then he would have been one of the elders at the church at Antioch when God said, I want you to lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out. So Lucius could have been one of the guys that laid his hands on Paul to send him out as a missionary. Uh, then he says, Jason. Um, chances are this is the same Jason that we read of in Acts 17 he was uh, from Thessalonica and let me read to you if you want to turn there you can Acts 17 there's a little uh, info here on on Jason Acts chapter 17 Paul's in Thessalonica the the ministry's going great guns people are getting saved left and right verse 5 but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious so they were pretty upset that Paul was gaining so much attention Becoming envious, they took some of the evil men from the marketplace. So they they hired a bunch of thugs. And gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. Right here. And they sought to bring them out to the people. So they were going to lynch these guys. Verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out. And these are awesome words. These folks are accusing Paul and his cohorts of this. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And then the next few words, Acts 17, verse 7, and they're still in their accusatory mode. And they say, and you know what? Jason has harbored them. So Jason was providing uh, help, encouragement to these world changers. How cool will it be for Jason when he's up in heaven and goes, hey, come here. I want to show you Acts 17. See this? There's my name. It's in those three places. And look how close it is to that phrase. These who have changed the world, turned it upside down for Christ. Maybe your application today. Maybe you've been praying about giving to a mission missionary, uh, someone who is changing the world for Christ. Maybe that's your thing is that you can be part of what God is doing to change the world. Okay. Um. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater don't know anything about him other than his name is hard to say. Um, verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. The word Tertius, it actually means third or three. Uh, a lot of slaves were actually named uh, just as numbers. They were just numbers, so that's what they were named. So Tertius, it says, who wrote this epistle. Now, wait a second. I thought Paul wrote this letter. He did. He dictated it to Tertius. Tertius was the Aminuensis. You guys say that back to me. Aminuensis. Gesundheit. <laughs> no, it just means secretary. He's the guy who, who Paul spoke it and he wrote it down. Okay, so Tertius physically wrote it. Now, that, that is one great way to get your name in scripture. Just write it. <laughs> because he's, like, all of a sudden he just pops in and goes, Hey, I'm the guy who wrote it. <laughs> So up in heaven, right? Hey, I'm Tertius. Oh, you're the guy. Yep, I wrote the book of Romans, sort of. Okay, verse 23. Gaius, my host, uh, greets you, and the host of the whole church greets you. So Paul says, look, I'm crashing on Gaius' floor, sleeping on his futon while I write this. And apparently Gaius had a fairly decent sized house because he housed the whole church there for a while. The whole church uh, greets you from Gaius' home. Continuing on, verse 23, And Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Um, Just more evidence, we saw it last week, that the gospel has no boundaries. Uh, There are slave names in this list and there's the treasurer of the whole city. It's amazing the kind of... People that God brings together in his family of beloved. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, says, hi. And then it says, and Cordus, a brother. Cordus means four. I wonder if he's three's brother. Maybe he's Tertius' younger brother. I, had, I tried to explain this last time and I don't know if I did. but you guys are familiar with the whole conglomerate name phenomenon from parents? Where they forget your name? And they insert every name of all of your brothers beforehand. For instance, my name growing up was Bethrick Doug, Because they would start at the first one. That's not it. Nope. Bethrick Doug. That's you. Okay. Okay. This is just goofy. But I'm thinking maybe somebody was really smart here. They just cut to the chase. I'm just going to call all my kids numbers. So uh, somewhere in Rome, you hear a guy go one, two, three, four. That's it. All right. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Okay, so now that's the second time. And he says, Amen. Actually, it's the third time. Let's review and show you all the places where Paul looks like he tried to close this letter. Uh, look at chapter 15, verse 33. You guys read the word Amen, which you typically see at the end of the letter. Verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Chapter 16 now, verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. All of these are closing salutations. So be it. This is what you write at the end of a letter. How do you guys know when a a pastor has reached the halfway point of his sermon? When he says, now in closing. (laughs) Could be. I mean, Paul was a preacher, but. Actually, there's, I think there's a great explanation for all of these closing remarks. To me, this totally makes sense. I think it's likely that when you get to verse 20, that closes out Paul's dictation. Paul has been speaking. He's just been on a roll. You know, uh, his eminences. He's going crazy. Hands hurting. Right. Wait. wait it's OK. Right. right. They've been going for a while. And then finally, when you get to verse 20, Paul says, OK, I've closed out the letter. And then maybe churches goes, hey, can we say Hi. Okay, all right, you guys go for it, right? Um, And so they do all the greetings, and it's also closed out. And then we come to verse 25. And this is precious to me. If this is anything like Galatians, probably what happened here is Paul went, give me that quill. I want to write this next part from me to the Romans in my own hand. We know it happened in Galatians because... He gets to chapter six and he says, wow, look at how big my handwriting is, because chances are he had some kind of uh, eyesight problem. So he's like, look at with what large letters I write you in this, this in my own hand. Um, So if that's any indication, it's a real good chance. I think that finally he said, I want to write these last few words. So imagine you're a Roman saint. okay? you've been you've been listening to this letter read out loud in the church. And, and maybe you, you go afterwards and you get to look at the parchment. What you see is the handwriting of a scribe. It's, it's very uh, meticulous. It's, it looks awesome. And then you come to this last little section uh, where the, the lettering is definitely different. Maybe it's a little bit more labored in its, in its uh, uh, execution. And you, you, you know that it's from the quill, the very quill of the Apostle Paul. Verse 25, Paul closes the book with worship. Here's his final worship. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, made clear, obvious, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Paul rightly closes this letter with praise and worship. Because if you've been paying attention, what you discovered in this book is that salvation begins and ends with God. He alone is wise. He alone is righteous. This whole thing is His story. And we get to be part of it if we say, Okay, Lord, I'm in. I will let you, um, I I will receive this free gift of salvation that you give to me. So here's the deal. Um, There's some great stuff in here. And I think I'm kind of leaning that we'll probably uh, spend some time expositing these last few verses. But I'm not sure, so... Uh, Either way, we've covered the book. But what I want to do, the, the, the first few words of this verse have really caught my attention. And I want to share some things with you. Let's just read verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's benediction to the whole book. And I think the very most important thing is this very first phrase. God is able to make you firm. He says, him who is able to establish you. The word is sterizo. It means to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, uh, to strengthen, to render constant. Interesting, in his worship, Paul says, I praise the God who is able to make you steadfast, constant. And the word able there is dynamite. That's where we get the word dynamite. It means to be capable, to be strong, to be Powerful. So what Paul is saying here is, and it's at the beginning of this this time of of worship here, he says, in other words, now to him who is capable, he's strong, he's powerful, he's able to make you firm and strong and constant. If you wanted it to rhyme, it would sound this way. You're like, I never said I wanted it to rhyme. Here it is to him who is well able to make you stable. Now, I mean this in love. Anybody here a bit unstable? (laughs) Yeah? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, But I appreciate the honesty. Are you unstable this morning? I don't know what that means for you, but it could look like this. Your marriage is unstable. Your finances are unstable. Maybe you're really mad at yourself because you've been through this whole book and we've been praying for a revival, and your behavior is unstable. Maybe your family is unstable. Maybe your very future, your health, whatever it is, is unstable. Paul says a lot of really important words. But the most important, I think, are in these first few verses. Let me just really briefly cover the rest of these words so we can get back to this really important thing. Okay, it's all important, but here you go. He says, according to, excuse me, the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. In other words, here's the mystery that was kept secret from the world began is that God loved, believe it or not, Gentiles too. That God loved the whole world. That he just didn't just have one class of people, the good people that he loved, but he loved every single sinner in the world. And that he sent his son to pay the price, the penalty for the whole world. That's the, the revelation of the mystery. So it's been revealed, it says, verse 26, but now has been made manifest. It means to make obvious that which is already true. But it, now it's been made obvious. And how is it made obvious? Jesus, God came, wore human skin died a perfect death, lived a perfect life, and became was resurrected on my behalf. He uh, paid the price for me. This was now made manifest, and it says, by the prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations. In other words, it was predicted in the Old Testament. Paul established that throughout the whole gospel, or throughout the uh, whole letter. Then he says, according to the commandment of the everlasting God. I love that. It's basically saying, and also because God said so. The commandment of the everlasting God. He was from the beginning and the end. He says, this is how it's going to be from the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Verse 27 to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. OK, this is a huge, awesome paragraph of worship. But I want you to read one more time those first words. He says now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, look, here's there's the whole gospel. This is the good news. Gospel is good news. Here's the good news. Whether you stand or fall depends on God. He's able to make unstable you stable. That's what he did back in chapter 3. You unstable criminals. All of you. Oh, me too. Took each one of us condemned to die because of our terrible unstableness. And he established that we would be called righteous, justified. And as we went through the book, he's saying, look, God's not done with you yet. He is able to establish you to make you stable. My last admonition to you this morning, if you're unstable in any area, the harder you try to make yourself stable, the more upset you'll be with yourself and the more miserable you'll fail. But if you do what we've been admonished to do continually, draw near to Jesus... Keep your eyes on him. Let him establish you. He is well able to make that which is unstable, stable. Okay? I want to just close, because I think this is kind of the the gist of it. Just read verse 25, and then jump right to 27. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray.